Hey, this is Louisiana Sister Squad podcast, where we bring you real information to enhance your truther lifestyle. I'm Katie. And I'm Tammy. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. On this episode of Louisiana Sister Squad podcast, we're speaking with activist Jill Hines. She is the co-director of Health Freedom Louisiana. As you can imagine, she's been very busy for the past few years being involved with legislation and fighting for everyone's health freedom. This is a true honor to have you here, Jill. Thank you so much and welcome to the show. So thanks so much, ladies, for inviting me on uh, to your show. I follow you guys on Instagram, so it was so nice to get an invitation to be on your podcast. Um, But I'm Jill Hines. I'm co-director of Health Freedom Louisiana. We're a consumer and human rights advocacy organization. Um, We work uh, with the state legislature and our communities to um, raise awareness on the importance of, you know, health freedom, especially uh, since COVID has hit. So we kind of consider our goal to educate the legislature and the community on the importance um, of health freedom. You've been so busy and I've followed you definitely through throughout, um, you know, COVID. I especially remember seeing your page when you guys are fighting against the mandates and everything. Before we get there, um, I was just curious as to like, you know, when exactly did this start for you guys? We actually started, uh, we actually created Health Freedom Louisiana in the summer of 2019. So long before COVID hit, prior to that, um, my co-directors, Ashley and Fiorella, along with families across the state, um, advocated at the Capitol um, under the name Louisiana Parents for Vaccine Rights. Um, But in 2019, we were extremely motivated after um, things started happening across the country that we saw as a threat to our exemption option for the vaccination requirements to attend school here in the state of Louisiana. So I don't know if you'll remember back in 2015, the state of California removed the religious exemption for vaccination requirements for uh, to attend school. Uh, States had, you know, followed their example. New York did it. Maine uh, removed the religious exemption. Um, So we just kind of saw it as a trend that started happening around 2015. And then in 2019, what the state of California did was they actually, uh, for medical exemptions, for vaccination exemptions to attend school, you had to submit your exemption to the state of California. So for a medical exemption, the decision was no longer between uh, a parent and their physician. It had to go to the state of California to be approved. So we see that as a a serious infringement. Uh, Granted, the the removal of the religious exemption was a serious infringement on religious rights, but then to take a medical decision and and have that go before a bureaucratic board uh, in the state of California, we saw that as a, a huge infringement so we were um, motivated that year. We, um, we, you know, took it, made it official. We changed the name because we, when we mentioned our name at the Capitol or anywhere really, vaccine is such a, an electric word. It, it sends shockwaves, right? Everybody has an opinion on vaccinations. And so to remove that um, word from our name kind of, um, opened a few more doors, if you will, and didn't have uh, barriers go up. And uh, I guess we, they just saw us as a little bit more friendly, or we saw ourselves really as a little bit more friendly. So, and we have always kind of considered ourselves, you know, the friendly voice of vaccine choice. We don't, we don't want to take away anybody's choice to determine what's best for themselves when, in regards to vaccination, but we also don't want to be forced to do it. And we saw this trend happening and we wanted to to make sure that um, the religious exemption or the exemption that we have in Louisiana was secure. So we made that our purpose to secure um, the the state law that allows individuals to determine what's best for themselves and for their children in regards to vaccination and attending school. So we created Health Freedom Louisiana in the summer of 2019 
if you'll remember, it was also an election year. So we made it a goal to reach out to all the legislative candidates, the gubernatorial candidates, all the, the statewide candidates, and just get their opinion on, you know, whose uh, right is it to determine what's best for their children in regards to medical um, decisions. And um, so we, we sent out a survey to all the candidates for legislative office and statewide office. And um, after the elections, we uh, started educating them. We um, looked specifically at members of the Health and Welfare Committee, and we just wanted to make them sure that there is, there's an ethical issue to removing an individual's right to determine uh, you know, what's best for themselves and their children in regards to um, you know, obta obtaining a, an education here in the state. We wanted to make sure that they're aware that there were parents that were really concerned and had this as a priority. So that's how we got started um, long before COVID. And then when COVID hit, it uh, kind of expanded our horizons <laughs> just a little bit. We took on the mask issue. Uh, we started another grassroots organization called Reopen Louisiana to take on the reopening issue. Um, we also saw that as a human rights um, issue as well. Um, you know, the state doesn't have a, the right to determine whether or not you have a business and have an income for your family. And so we took on that and um, gosh, it's just been nonstop since uh, probably around February of 2020. We appreciate you so much out there fighting. We need to be able to make decisions for ourselves. That choice is so important. So I'm going to make an assumption, and you could just tell me if I'm right or wrong. I would say that you're pretty familiar with the Constitution. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a homeschool mom. So um, right now at our homeschool co-op, I mean, I'm teaching constitutional literacy um, to a group of homeschoolers, but I'm also very familiar with our state's constitution, which I think is, uh, you know, as equally important, especially when we're talking about our governor, you know, shutting down things and not necessarily the president or the government, the federal government. So yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty well informed. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was, I've been learning. Um, I, I mean, like I was familiar with the constitution and then definitely through all of this and then learning more about the different states constitutions. What's funny is that for as strict as California is, I actually took a quick review of their state constitution and their state constitution is pretty radical. Like as far as they have a lot of rights and freedom that I guess maybe their their citizens are just oblivious to. Um, and I actually think their state constitution looks a lot better than our state constitution as far as their um, their rights being clearly put out there. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate to see a tyrannical government, whether it be locally, your state and federally, that's just insanity to me. So here we are today, and you've had a lot of things just happening in the past two years, as far as like taking on the mask mandate, and then, um, you know, them trying to mandate this, this shot for schools. Um, I also saw in your bio that you are suing the Biden administration or Joe Biden himself. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. That, and that is probably one of the most important pieces of, um, le not legislation, but the, the most important lawsuit probably uh, of our time, because it's not necessarily my lawsuit. Uh, it started with our fantastic attorney general, Jeff Landry, um, and his solicitor general, uh, Liz Mural. Um, they, along with the attorney general of the state of Missouri, have um, have instituted a lawsuit against the Biden administration, including, you know, Anthony Fauci, um, the Surgeon General, several other um, cabinet heads in regards to censorship. Um, you ladies know, you were talking about it earlier with the, the censorship that we've been dealing with. It is a coordinated effort um, instigated by our federal government. And you know, that violates our First Amendment rights in various ways, not just an infringement on speech, but in my particular case, because we were dealing with um, uh, the vaccine issue, 
um, with reopen Louisiana and the other grassroots efforts that we started. There was a lot of election um, talk on that page as well. So we ran, we ran the gamut. We were getting censored for just about everything that we put out. And, but there was one particular post that our very first fact check on our reopen Louisiana Facebook page, which was uh, it, it gathered steam very, very quickly um, because it, um, we had such broad appeal on the, the fact that the government, the governor was shutting down businesses. I had businesses reaching out to me left and right, then the mask issue. So we, and we put it out there in a way that we really in, intentionally antagonized the governor, um, the Louisiana Department of Health. We countered all of their so-called science that they were putting out, we were, you know, countering it with our own um, peer-reviewed um, science and literature. So we took it upon ourselves to really counter the narrative. And um, when, when the mask mandate was applied for the schools, we put out a post asking people to contact the governor. And uh, that was our very first fact check or community standard. I can't remember exactly what they labeled it at the time, but that was our very first hit on our reopen Louisiana page. And as our page had grown, I would send pictures of our analytics to my co-directors and I was just like, look at this. I was just like, okay, now this week we're reaching 30,000 people. It's grown to 250,000 people. And at one point we were reaching 1.3 to 1.4 million people in a month's time. Now for us, that's, that's pretty significant. That's a quarter of the state's population that we were reaching in approximately a month's time. And then we get hit with this from this post where we're literally asking people, we have a link where they could submit a letter to the governor and ask him to, um, you know, to, to rescind his mask mandate. And that's an, an interference in a petition of the government. So not only were they impeding speech, they were not allowing us to directly contact the, our, 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 our government, which is also a guaranteed right in the First Amendment, the right to petition our government. And um, so we were very excited when we were approached by Solicitor General Mural to um, write a declaration um, in support of their lawsuit against the Biden administration. And when I was telling Miss um, Mural that we had screenshots of our analytics at the time and of our fact check, the post itself where we're asking people to contact the governor, um, they were very excited because it's a, it, it kind of broadens the lawsuit. It's not just a matter of speech, it's a matter of um, literally interfering with our right to petition the government. Um, so we wrote a declaration, um, which is basically a supporting statement um, in uh, support of their uh, lawsuit um, against the Biden administration. And then a few months later, I was approached by the Solicitor General from Missouri, and um, he was curious if I would be interested in um, engaging in a plaintiff lawsuit with some other plaintiffs to sue the government. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And so now I'm uh, a part of another lawsuit that has been joined with Missouri v. Biden. Um, I'm a plaintiff along with uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Martin Kaldorf, and Dr. Aaron Curiotti, and New Civil Liberties Alliance and their attorney, Janine Yunus, is our attorney that's suing alongside um, the attorney generals to push forward, to sue, to, to stop, to help with the freedom. And then I also realized that our attorney general, um, Jeff, Jeff Landry, he is going to be running for governor. Any insight or an opinion on his run for governor? I do, actually. I'm so glad you asked because he is our choice for, for governor. You know, over the last three years now, he has been the only um, uh, part of our government that has fought for us. Now, there are individual members within the state legislature that are phenomenal. They have really fought for us, but they're, you know, a handful amongst 105 people. They're, you know, 15 when you're dealing with 105 amongst the entire legislature, you can't get anything done. 
So the only shining star in our state government over the last three years is our Department of Justice. And I would say that's Attorney General Jeff Landry, but also his Solicitor General, Liz Murrell. Um, she's the one that approached us about being in the, um, the lawsuit. Uh, we've also been in communication with her um, uh, because we helped with some lawsuits that the Attorney General helped with very early on. I don't know if you remember, but there were a group of uh, medical students at VCOM. I can't remember what VCOM stands for, um, but it's a whole, um, doctor of osteopathic school uh, at the University of Louisiana Monroe campus. And they were denying those individuals their exemption. And uh, the exemption law in Louisiana is fantastic. It is applicable to, um, you know, as far as daycares all the way through college. And that includes medical school, nursing school, any kind of, you know, um, medical professional type schools. If it's an education, the uh, exemption law applies to it. And VCOM was denying these students an exemption. So we helped, uh, we were kind of like um, their uh, bank, if you will. We were taking donations for them and paying their attorney. Um, because this was so new to so many people, we were help educating their attorney on the state's law. Um, I had an idea, I would send it over to Liz Mural because uh, the attorney general at one point enjoined in on that, that lawsuit. So we've been in communication with them. <clears throat> very early on and of course you know liz is um has been down at the capitol we've uh, testified together not intentionally we were testifying on uh, the vares uh, data that the state was sharing with the public and we wanted the health and welfare committee to know that it was completely inaccurate and they weren't following the the rules as far as um, uh, who is supposed to file a VAERS report and stuff. So uh, uh, somebody up here in North Louisiana was able to convince a health and Wel welfare committee member to have a, have a hearing. And so we were there and we were testifying and Louisiana Department of Health was there testifying and Liz Mural was in her office, her office listening to it. And she became so angered that she <laughs> drove down to the Capitol, which is not her office, it's not far from the, the state Capitol, drove down to the Capitol, came inside and submitted a green card so she could testify. But Solicitor General Murrell's son was actually the first um, case of teen myocarditis here in the state. Her son was received a, a vaccine to attend, um, a, I think a summer camp and um, was almost immediately afflicted with chest pains. And um, so she, we were actually on the, uh, the phone that day because we were trying to get her test uh, to make comment at an LSU Senate faculty where they were trying to mandate the COVID shot at um, the LSU. So we were texting her, emailing her, seeing if she could make comment there. And later that afternoon, come to find out she'd been in the ER with her son and the ER doctors were telling her that, you know, this was back in 21, the ER doctors were telling her that this chest pain was not associated with the shot that he'd had just a few days before. And she was adamant that it was connected. And I told her, I said, well, it just so happens I have an email from Louisiana Department of Health. They just put out an alert to all the physicians across the state to be on the lookout for cases of myocarditis or pericarditis following vaccination. So uh, I was able to forward her that email and she showed it to the ER doctor where her son was being treated. So uh, we have a great relationship with Liz Mural, I consider her a friend at this point. And um, she has done so much. She's written a letter to the Louisiana Department of Health demanding that they take down a YouTube video where they're advocating for children to receive the shot, but um, just really minimizing the risk to myocarditis. She's written them a letter asking them to take that down. Of course, they haven't. They're awful. Um, Attorney General Jeff Landry has written a letter to the CDC 
um, uh, in regards to children and the, the vaccine that it's really not necessary. I think that was the gist of his letter. So they really have been on the forefront as far as attorney generals are concerned across the country and taking on the issues of health freedom. You know, they've gone to bat against the mandates. They've gone to bat against the, um, the Head Start mandates that were requiring Head Start workers to be vaccinated and children as young as two to wear masks and to be vaccinated. And they got that one um, repealed. So they've done a tremendous job in defending uh, the citizens of Louisiana. And also at the same time, staying in their lane, if that makes sense. As you know, if you understand the, the Constitution, every elected member um, of the, the legislature or the executive office, whether it's the governor or the attorney general, their job is really defined in statute. And, you know, the governor, the governor has, um, has done, um, has uh, shown that he's willing to over, do a lot of overreach um, in regards to requiring the shot, shutting down businesses. That's not his job. He, he's not the one to do that. And so he's really stepping outside of the bounds of his job statutorily. But A.G. Landry and um, Solicitor um, General Mural are really good about staying in their lane and doing what their job is defined to. So I really appreciate that too, because I know a lot of people say, well, why can't he do this? Why isn't he suing this person and that person? Well, he really can't. His, this is his job. He's, he's supposed to be the, you know, the, the attorney for the state, so that his job is really defined. So I really appreciate the fact that he has done his job. Okay, so the best way to support us to know what we're doing, because we are so censored, I mean, even still to this day, somebody was asking me today, they were like, but you don't have any, like, hits against you at the moment. I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, once you, you guys know, once you're hit, there's just your shadow band. Like, I think that it's intentional. Like, if you look for our name on Facebook, it, we're like after a hundred other names. <laughs> CDC, who, da, 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 da. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the show. Do you have a question for our podcast guest? We got you covered. Your opportunity to speak directly with our podcast guest awaits. Join us on the Uncensored Platform Telegram. Link in bio. Now back to the show. And then us. So the best way to support us is to sign up for our Substack. Um, it's free. I mean, you can pay for a monthly subscription or annual subscri subscription if you want, but we have no intention of charging anybody for that. That's just an added bonus if you do, do that. So sign up for our Substack. That's where we can always be in touch with you. Follow us on social media. Be intentional about looking for us because they're not going to show us. And if you want to make financial contributions to us, um, first of all, let me put out this disclaimer. We do all of our work for voluntarily. We did incorporate um, in 2019, but it was basically because, you know, we don't want to hold on to money. It's not ours. It's for our, our, job, our, our work. So, but I live in Ruston. When I go down to the Capitol, it's a seven-hour round-trip drive. And you guys know, since Biden was elected, gas is not cheap. <laughs> it never has been. So all of our donations go to our overhead, um, whether it's me or Fiorella driving down to the Capitol, the packets of material that we prepare for legislators, the cost of our um, website. That's another place to find us is healthfreedomla.org. We have all of our resources on there. Um, if you need a, an exemption, uh, we have a sample exemption for school attendance. We have all the state law explained there. And um, because of COVID, we've got additional information about employer exemptions, the religious exemption that you can apply for under Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So we have all of that information um, on at healthfreedomla.org, along with a heck ton of other stuff. We have... Um, a tab with all of our letters that we've written to the legislature over the last several years. Um, so you can see all the, the work, the effort that we've tried, that we've tried, like maddeningly tried to get them to do something for us over the last three years. We've written letters to, um, you know, the mayor, the superintendents of school across the state when they were in, I mean, we've just tried everything. 
So all of our letters are there. We have a donate button if you'd like to contribute to our costs. We do have um, a billboard campaign that we're working on right now. We're going to have a billboard tab that kind of helps explain each one of our billboards. We've started it in New Orleans, um, not far from one of their universities. The um, Tulane University is um, kind of the, one of the worst offenders when it comes to not disclosing information about the exemption information. So we have a billboard um, that should, you know, says basically you, you have the right to an exemption. You don't have to be vaccinated to attend school. We're also putting out a campaign at the federal level to um, amend the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act so that pharmaceutical companies are liable for the injury that their products cause. So we have another billboard image that says make pharma liable again. And uh, we're working on the wording for another billboard to inform physicians of their mandatory requirement to report serious adverse events following COVID vaccination. So if you want to donate to our billboard campaign, that would be fantastic. Billboards are expensive. <laughs> so any help with that, we did have a nice donation and we're trying to, to use that, um, you know, wisely, but it goes very, very quickly. So, and that's, you know, one of the ways that we can bypass all the censorship that we have in, you know, printed media, you know, with a lawsuit that Children's Health De Defense and Robert Kennedy Jr. just um, uh, released for the Trusted News in Initiative. So people aren't getting accurate information from printed news or television news. They're not getting it on social media. So we're going to bypass that and put it on billboards. <laughs> So if you want to help with that, that would be fantastic. But, but that's how you can support us. Sign up for our, our Substack so we can always be in contact with you through email and we can give you some information and then find us on social media and make sure you bookmark our website, healthfreedomla.org. You guys are working like mad ladies. So a lot of people, um, you know, that are just only informed by like mainstream media and propaganda. There's this very big elephant in the room to say like, oh, you know, if you don't wear a, if you're not wearing a mask, you're Republican or Democrats don't want, don't want to not wear a mask because they don't want people to think that they're Republican or conservative and, you know, like all of these things. And, and through it all, what I really realize is that this is not a this is not a political issue, even though it's so heavily politicized. Now, we've seen Democrats make a lot of horrible decisions for their towns. Um, but I mean, I can't say that Republicans have not or conservatives have not. Um, so I wanted to give you the opportunity for somebody that's listening that's maybe um, in the middle or even somebody that's on the left. Can you give us an explanation as to why this is not a political issue? Oh, absolutely. First and foremost, our government has lied to everyone, regardless of part party. <laughs> they have lied to everyone. So, and, and like you said, it, it has become a, a partisan issue, but your, and I, I tried to explain this. I testified on behalf of the um, social media free speech bill back in 21. And I said, all it takes is an election for whatever favored government or whatever favored person is seen by that government, all it takes is an election for that to change. So everyone should be extremely concerned about the idea of this particular administration favoring this medical intervention for you because the next government that comes in, the next administration that comes in may have a different medical intervention that they want to impose on you. And, you know, that we have another graphic that says uh, which medical intervention should be mandated, the one that you want for your neighbor or the one that your neighbor wants for you. Because that's who, that's who the government is. It's our neighbor. We're electing our, our neighbor <laughs> to determine what is best for us. So I can't stress enough how important it is to understand that regardless of whether we like it now or not, we may not like it the next administration that gets into office. So we have to be extremely careful and guard those rights. I mean, they have been fought for. 
blood has been shed for the rights that people are infringing on and the rights that people are begging to be taken away. It just blows my mind, the people that are asking us to, to mask for you know the good of your neighbor. I'm just like, no, if you love your neighbor, you're gonna fight for their freedom and you're gonna fight for their right to say no. Uh, so anyway, that's my short answer on that. Uh, whether or not you approve of this administration, what they're doing, you may not approve of the next administration that comes in the door. And it's going to be just four years from now or two years from now, depending on what election you're looking at. So, yeah, we have a, a we have a duty as citizens. You know, like I mentioned, I'm teaching constitutional lit. We have a right, a, a, a duty, an obligation to be enlightened citizens. And these people that are asking for their rights to be taken away are not enlightened at all. <laughs> they're not enlightened. They're not helping their children in this and they're not being a good neighbor by handing over, by rolling over and letting the government just take over. So yeah, that's my short answer on that. I heard a really great quote the other day and it said, educated parents have educated children and ignorant parents have indoctrinated children. I don't think that I ever realized how important it was until we're faced with everything that we were faced with, with having our rights taken away and our freedom to choose and our freedom to live. Like that's, that's right in the beginning, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And all of those were, um, were jeopardized. And in my opinion, all of those at one point or another had been taken away. Absolutely. And you know, when we started handing our children over to um, be educated by the government, when we passed Common Core, I became aware of what they were doing with Common Core. And they really were dumbing down American history. And I think we have graduated students that are, are truly ignorant of their, um, of their history, their obligations as citizens, the importance of our freedoms. Um, so I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, you know, I can't see a mass exodus, although there has been a mass exodus from public school. But I mean, there's always going to be people that need the public school system. So I don't know what we can do to change that without um, this active involvement that we're seeing right now. I'm hoping it makes great change, um, but active involvement from parents to make sure that what their children are actually learning um, brings value not only to um, themselves, but to the future of our country. Um, because right now, you know, I've stood out on I've stood out on the corner <laughs> by myself with my protest signs way back in like the summer of 2020. I live in a college town and I can't tell you the number of college students that drove around the corner, flipping the bird at me, screaming at me out of the car window. And it was just so discouraging because I thought these are the, the ones that I'm fighting for. And here they are flipping me the bird <laughs> because I'm fighting for their freedom and I'm bringing awareness to the fact that the government is tyrannical. And this generation, you know, my dad at that age was fighting in Vietnam. And this generation is flipping the bird at a, a woman standing on the corner with her American flag and a sign. So um, I, it's very discouraging, but I, I, I think that's one of the COVID silver linings parents know now what's being taught in their schools because they had to teach it themselves for a few, a few months, a few weeks. So maybe that we will see a great turnaround. I hope so, a great awakening amongst parents, but something's gotta change. Something's gotta change so that this generation understands um, the importance of what's been lost and the, their responsibility to um, re, um, reignite it, if you will, or re instill that, you know, the patriotism that generation I don't think has appreciated like you and I have, or our parents did. So, so yeah, I'm hoping things change in that regard. So what do you have coming up next? Right now we're working on, we have seasons in our work, you know, we have the legislative season, which is basically nonstop when it starts. Um, this year, it's a, a little bit later in the year, starts April 10th. 
and runs through, I think, the first week of June. It's what's called a physical year. Um, so legislators um, can only bring five bills that are not like tax, physical, money in nature. And so it's not going to be as hectic, chaotic, I don't think, as it was last year um, because they can't bring as many bills. Last year, we were tracking 50 plus bills during legislative session. Um, and they weren't bills that we had spoken um, or asked, you know, saw a need for. Um, it was just people thought, legislators thought they were doing the right thing. So they introduced a bill and we were like, oh my gosh, that's an awful bill. <laughs> you know, we had several legislators last year that introduced legislation um, that would, um, instead of like a vaccine exemption, it was a natural immunity exemption. And I thought, well, we're just, um, you know, we're, we're just going from the frying pan to the fire in that instance. We don't want to move from a vaccine passport to immunity passport. So, and yeah, so anyway, so <laughs> we had to, to, to talk a couple of legislators um, or ask them to amend that. And then several of them ended up not introducing of it. So last year was a lot of work because so many people were introducing legislation. We were constantly reading it, seeing if it was, you know, more harm than good. And um, so it was just a ton of work last year. And, the, and we were also looking at stuff that was not necessarily just health. ESG is on our, you know, radar because of what happened to the Canadian truckers. They were protesting for their health freedom and then the banks, the government started shutting down their bank accounts. So we were tracking ESG bills as well. We had one bill that we were adamantly opposed to. Um, it was brought by my state legislator, uh, Representative Chris Turner, who owns a pharmacy. He brought legislation that would allow pharmacists, pharmacy tax, and um, uh, one other thing, criteria, I can't remember, but three different, like pharmacists, pharmacy tax, and pharmacy uh, workers somehow, were allowed to administer all vaccines to children um, ages, I think, three and up. And we were adamantly opposed to that. We don't think that, you know, children should be receiving vaccinations on the, at the corner drugstore. It should be, um, if a parent determines that it's right for them, they should be under, administered under the care of a physician, especially at that age. Um, you know, the, the shot schedule has ballooned so much since 1986. Children are receiving 73 doses by age 18. And they don't need to receive that at, you know, CVS. So <laughs> if they're going to do it, do it under the care of a physician. So we, we were opposed to that one. Um, so last year was a ton of work. I'm hoping this year it won't be a ton of work. We're hoping uh, Representative Kathy Edmiston uh, that her bill will finally get passed. It's the one that requires schools to inform parents and students of the exemption law. Uh, you know, if the government, if the governor is going to say, you know, um, to, to require LDH, to require the, the COVID vaccination and explain that we have such a liberal um, exemption policy, anybody can just take the exemption policy. Well, what they don't tell people is nobody knows about the exemption policy. And we think that, you know, if the government's going to require some, a medical intervention, a parent can't sue if their child is injured because of that required medical intervention, they need to be made aware of the fact that they have the option to refuse that medical intervention and that their education will not be denied to them. So we're hopeful that her bill will pass uh, this year, but we don't have, oh, and we, we do, I have asked um, a legislator to carry another bill. Um, I, my brother-in-law passed away in um, August of last year and um, I had already talked to this legislator prior to this, but my brother-in-law um, collapsed at home, um, got to the hospital. He was still unresponsive, but he tested positive for COVID. And at that point, no family member was allowed to be back there with him. And he passed away later that evening. And um, so, I experienced, my sister experienced what so many people across 
state experienced, and that is not being able to be with their loved one in the hospital um, when they needed to be. And so I've asked uh, Representative Chuck Owen, I had asked him before this happened actually, to carry a No Patient Left Alone Act here in the state of Louisiana, which would, you know, patients have to have a patient advocate. They're seeing them. We, I can't tell you how many um, calls and emails that we got about nursing home residents who were being neglected because nobody had eyes on them. You know, they could see them via FaceTime or whatever, but they couldn't see their body. What was going on? Did they have bed sores? You know, were they being walked, talked to? Um, you know, if you were in a COVID unit, you were by yourself for basically two weeks in a nursing home. So no patient left alone assures that individuals are not alone in the hospital, especially under significant circumstances like end of life, like my, my sister experienced and my brother-in-law's parents weren't even able to go back and see him. By the time they got, they got to the hospital, he had tested positive, so they weren't able to go back to see him and he died later that evening. So um, we're hopeful that those two bills pass this year. You know, in the last couple of years, we've had six pieces of legislation that have passed and then the governor has vetoed all of them. So I'm hoping that if these two bills pass, that um, we can convince him of the, the need to sign these into law. Um, but I'm hoping that we aren't overwhelmed with bills like we were last year because it was just, um, I just spent months down <laughs> in Baton Rouge. And like I said, it's a seven hour round trip drive for me. So um, I'm hopeful that it's a, a less intensive year for us legislatively. We are kind of keeping an eye on what we can introduce. It's an election year. A lot of people don't want to put, you know, their necks on the chopping block with a controversial piece of legislation. Um, so uh, we're, we're just kind of hoping for the best with those two pieces of legislation, maybe a third. We're also hoping that we can get some, um, some laws um, repealed. Um, in 2020, they passed legislation that gave schools a, a you know, blanket immunity from um, any kind of required COVID mitigation efforts. We would love to see those bills, re, uh, those laws repealed. Um, we think schools should be liable for, you know, perhaps any harm uh, that's caused by their mitigation efforts. So, um, but I'm not, I don't know that that's going to be a guarantee or not. And we really see our job as educating those who pass the laws on their responsibility. So, um, and the importance of this law, and I think we've, I hope people have come to see the importance, uh, the need for um, that, that law. Now I have, to, I have to make a little disclaimer because I'm not a huge fan of exemptions. I, I don't think you should have to have an exemption for a medical procedure. I really think a no means no. I don't want a medical, Nuremberg, you know, <laughs> we have the right for voluntary informed consent. Voluntary means there's no coercion. Voluntary means that there's no, you, you could take away education if you say no. I mean, but <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, it has been, um, you know, a saving grace over the last three years. Nobody was required to take this shot to attend school, whether it was college, preschool, daycare, you know, whatever, K through 12, private schools, it applies to private schools as well. Um, but at the same time, I would love to see an abolishment of all exemption laws and just go to, if you want a medical procedure, you can take it. If you don't want a medical procedure, you don't have to take it. Well, I definitely agree with no means no. And I've called this ever since the requirements and mandates. And like, this is medical rape. That really helps to wake people up. It's a very jarring term and makes people maybe think you're a little extreme, but it's going to stick with them if you're getting this um, if, if you feel like you're being forced and all the coercion that went on and people not understanding their rights. I've tweeted that out a couple of times as well. It's like, how are we supposed to know the 
quote unquote law and the things that they're passing and what's mandated and stuff like that. How are we supposed to understand those things when there's no um, real place we can go to get that information? Because if you try to look up anything in regards to um, the shot or um you know, requirements or traveling or any of those things, you are swamped by the CDC, the WHO, um, you know, and all of these other websites, and you cannot get a real concise, clear answer. And I, I know for me personally, that's extremely frustrating. Um, um, this is a very unnatural um, thing that that we've been put through. And so I just really wanted to say thank you so much for um, sharing that story. And all of the work you're doing, it seems like you really work hard on getting your your resources and your information straight. And I'm sure you make a lot of great connections as well. Other organizations that are doing similar things that are, you know, running parallel to what you guys are doing. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to to lift up also um, other great people, advocates or organizations um, that you guys have have befriended or partnered with. Oh, thank you so much for asking me that because we really have come to rely on other people, our counterparts and counterparts in other states, but also um, because we were so focused at on state level things for like the first two years, federal level things kind of, you know, went by the wayside. We really started relying on other organizations to help with that bring information to the forefront. So we are affiliate partners with a fantastic organization called Stand for Health Freedom. And uh, they really tackle uh, federal level issues, um, treaties. They were really into the, um, onto the WHO treaty, you know, last year that came about. And we really relied on them for their portal advocacy where you could just put in your name and send an, an email to um, a representative. Uh, so Stand for Health Freedom is a fantastic organization. We're also alliance partners with Children's Health Defense, um, another incredible organization. We just love them. Uh, we have friends with um, ICANN, Informed Consent Action Network, and I'm hoping that you'll see something soon that they're helping us with. Um, I can't mention it just yet, but it's really exciting. <laughs> so. I'll send it your way whenever it gets released. So I can, which is uh, Dell Big Trees nonprofit. You know the High Wire. We love the High Wire. We think their information is phenomenal. But the goat, the greatest of all times, the one that was here before all others, is NVIC, the National Vaccine Information Center, Barbara Lowe Fisher's organization, and uh, their um, state advocacy person is Don Richardson, and she is kind of like an, a policy advisor for me, um, and all. All of these organizations have you know taken us under their wing allowed us to be on their website so if people get from Louisiana go to their website come directly to us and we can offer help if needed but one of the great things about all of the associations with Stanford Health Freedom I can Children's Health Defense and NVIC is that there's we don't we don't have to pay for all of that they're wonderful about offering their services to us. Uh, Stand for Health Freedom has a policy advisor. We can take a piece of legislation to her and say, you know, is this good? Is this bad? Same for NVIC. They're fantastic organizations. So if your followers need um, some, some help uh, in other states, NVIC has fantastic information about all exemption laws in all 50 states. They can help with that. Of course, I can CHG has fantastic information and Stand for Health Freedom. They're doing some, they're informing um, on another level too. They just put out um, an information campaign on RSV, you know, because RSV is, you know, on the rise because of, you know, certain issues. They've had an RSV vaccine trial in the state of Louisiana. Also, we're finding out through ICANN's legal work that the COVID shot causes an increase in uh, an increased susceptibility to RSV. So um, Stand for Health Freedom just had put out some information about RSV that's really good. So those are some fantastic organizations. Now within the state, 
Louisiana Education Alliance, Louisiana Save Our Schools, and Mask Louisiana. Uh, Bayou Mama Bears are doing fantastic work over in New Orleans with their um, violence. And New Orleans is kind of like a third world country. So um, we just uh, appreciate them <laughs> bringing to light what's going on over there. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, and of course our legislators that we just love so much. And if, you know, your viewers want to contribute to their work in the legislature, um, there's a handful of just fantastic ones that we know that we can count on to vote in the right direction. Uh, Representative Beryl Amade, you know, who was a homeschool mom at one time and now has served in the state legislature. Representative Kathy Evanston, Danny McCormick. Uh, Rep. Tuck Owen, who I just love, he actually carried a bill last year that caught my attention that also guaranteed appropriate care at end of life. So, I, you know, I was very willing to take this other no patient left alone bill to him because I knew he really cared for human rights. It's a human rights issue. Um, Larry Freeman, um, Blake Miguez, oh, Rep. Uh, Raymond Cruz, Mike Eccles, uh, Representative Larry Bagley introduced some fantastic legislation last year, shocked us all when he told us that he died from the COVID shot, but they were able to revive him in the ambulance. If you haven't seen that testimony, we were just, we were sitting behind him and I was just like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? So anyway, <laughs> um, those are just uh, some of the legislators that we really, oh, one of my favorite organizations in the state is Citizens for a New Louisiana, Michael Lunsford's organization over in Lafayette. He's trying to expand. He's got Jamie Pope over in Baton Rouge and he shares some of my articles. He um, re, uh, republishes some of the articles that I write on his uh, Citizens for a New Louisiana platform, which I really appreciate. Scott McKay's Hayride. I love the Hayride. He really blasts the governor and state legislators when they get out of line. So um, just off the top of my head, those are some of the organizations that we just love. We just love working with them. Well, I think you named every good person in Louisiana. Couple things. So that, I mean, this is absolutely awesome. If you had one minute to speak to the entire world, what would your message be? Um, I, I would just say that all roads lead to health freedom. You know, we've seen an election that was stolen because people feared for their health. Um, we've seen a country run ragged um, because an election was stolen, because individuals gave up their right to health freedom. We've seen economies destroyed, children are dying from starvation because of the lack of uh, food chain distribution issues in other countries because individuals gave up their, their health freedom. Don't give up your health freedom. Thank you so much. I agree with that 100%. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here today, and we look forward to scheduling your Telegram chat. Uh, we appreciate you and everything you do. And, um, you know, just really thank you from the bottom of our heart for, for providing all of these resources to the people of Louisiana. And I'm sure there's people from other states grabbing that information as well um, and using it um, to help protect their rights for health. Thanks so much for inviting me, ladies. It was really great chatting with you. And I appreciate you guys, too. Before you go, hit follow and share with a friend. Wake up to a new episode of Louisiana Sister Squad podcast every Tuesday.